What's good, man? What's, what's going on, dude? <laughs> Matt Matt goes, Lou is always late. Dude, it is literally... <laughs> dude, it's 6.02. <laughs> what up, Riggler? Jesus. So, uh, how goes it? Hey, man. It's, uh, it's, it's quarantine. And, uh, you know, just living, living life in Albany. It's fucking wonderful. I, uh, I broke social distancing today to meet up with Anthony for a slice of pizza. Nice. So Did I, you guys, did you guys, like, share napkins or something? No, we exchanged a hug. A man, very man, a man, a manly hug. Thought this thing started at six, Lou Matt says. <laughs> Oh, shit, man. We're on uh, punk rock time. We always got to be a little bit late because that's that's the way uh, that's the way it goes. That's uh, that's a rule of the road, you know. That's how it is. So um, so interesting. Uh, just uh, this past week on the thirtieth of March, we celebrated the thirtieth uh, anniversary of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, 30 years, I know you and I are obviously big fans, obviously being of the generation, growing up, being born in the late 80s, being raised in the early 90s, that shit was still all over television, it was still hugely all over the place, and I mean the memorabilia, the merchandising for it, I'm sure you've seen the, the Toys That Made Us, have you watched that on Netflix yet? So I've watched the G.I. Joe episode, and I have yet to see the other episode, however... Um, I do know that they've covered literally the entire gambit of He-Man, Ninja Turtles, like, they hit it all. Oh, yeah. The, the Power Rangers one was really good. That one was super, like, uh, I, I mean, the amount of money that those things made, I mean, it's just, like, stupid money. That's fuck you money they made with the Power Rangers merchandising, all the action figures, because there was, I mean, there was already, it had already been, you know... It, Power Rangers had already been established, but not the Americanized, what what we become, you know, became to know what the Power Rangers truly were. Dude, they were saying with G.I. Joe, so there was obviously a show that was created more or less to sell action figures. And there was a comic that was created, etc. But as the series went on, they were introducing characters specifically to sell. They were basically generating like these random like GI Joes just to sell toys. And the toys were badass. Don't get me wrong; like, they were oh, awesome. Yeah. But how much weight did the actual storyline carry? You know, I don't know about that. Yeah. Oh well, the same thing when the you know once the movie launched in 1990. I mean, I I feel like obviously with the cartoon, you know. If you, you visit your local Peppies or what have you, whatever whatever your your uh, your pizza joint with a uh, with an arcade in there, obviously we remember the Ninja Turtles arcade being like a staple over there. So with the video games on the original Super the, the original NES and Super Nintendo, I mean Super Nintendo actually wasn't even out yet, but it had already been merchandised. But after the movie, they really started merchandising like. To another level. I mean, I mean, we were just talking about uh, you know them creating uh, figures just for the sake of making money. They made Universal Monster Ninja Turtles. 
like for for what I mean, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. You're 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 barking up the right tree, especially if you're you know for people like us when you're turning you know Raphael into the mummy, and I think Donatello was the Wolfman or whatever. But they were just they had to keep you know creating new figures. You know, uh, fear of missing out. Get them as many as you can while you can. Uh, after the movie came out, it just became such a. I don't even, like, just mass. I mean, it, it's still to this day. Obviously, there's multiple different incarnations. There's different movies now. And the merchandising for it is still just as big now as it ever was. And there's so many company companies that have been doing uh, different, uh, you know, for the 30th anniversary just now. We, new Ninja Turtle shirts everywhere. And it, it's wild to think how here or how far this, the Eastman and Laird actually came with their creation. So, back, back in high school, I'd gotten my hands on, like, I think it was shortly after high school, I got my hands on, like, Omnibus collection, and I had purchased, like, uh, standalone comics, like, from the original series, Eastman and Laird's, Teenage Mutant and Shirtles. I got my hands on those, because I discovered eBay, you know, in, like, 10th oh, yeah. grade, whatever, and it was just, like, dumb purchases with my Denny's money, but uh, when I got the Omnibus... Between each episode, uh, both Eastman and Laird talked about it. They, they did little write-ups or whatever. But they didn't even think that they were going to be able to continue the comic at all. Right. Like, they put their own money into it. They printed a small, small amount of copies. And they kept selling out. Like, the demand was there. But they were so, like, I don't want to say, like, punk rock about how they released it. But it, it, it was more or less, like, a low-budget, like, comic zine initially like, oh yeah start off as this glossy like oh this is beautiful it's like no it, it hand drew each page it's crazy it, it and even the look of the original comics too was very you know punk rock it was very there was a grittiness to it that no other comics at the time really could capture and on top of having you know your heroes be teenagers one they liked pizza long before, like the whole like, oh, if I'm in a pop punk band, I like pizza type thing. There was, there was e even in the movie. There's a huge like punk rock element in the movie. Obviously, skateboarding being a huge part of the culture at the time too, mixed in, uh, you know, with the Ninja Turtle. You know, have them being pizza eating, punk rock, skateboarding. It was all like a product of the time. Uh, so they really tapped into like a certain uh, demographic there, but there's so many people, you know, and us now who grew up with it ha are now still fans of it. So you got 30 year old, hell yes, Kawabunga bros. Someone just said, "Yo, that's a that's a Nango short drummer. That's Mikey." Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, there's so many. Um, you know, we're in our 30s now, and we're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, that's how, uh, but even, I mean, I would be interested to see how many people were actually, like, what the age demographic for the cartoon was. I mean, obviously the comics are, are vast. You, you know, you cover from smaller children, uh, to adults, even now with all comics. Um, but I, I would be interested to, uh, to get someone who was uh, maybe in their late teens, early 20s to see what their kind of stance on the Ninja Turtles was. Was, you know, after it became mainstream and they got a movie 
and they were really like blowing up uh you know once 1990 came was it did it stretch beyond that was there more people getting into it was it you know or was it just strictly comic people and uh i mean obviously kids aren't reading as many comics like younger kids you know kids that were you know our age when that hit you know vhs and was really big in the vhs era you know 92 93 94 95 when you know, we were probably watching that in a loop in summertime. Uh, you know, what, you know, it'd be really interesting to see what their their demographic poll actually was as far as um, financials, too. You know, how, what was the age demographics for the movie? Because I feel like that movie is so entertaining still to this day. It's a well-made movie. It's not like a, it's not like a shitty, like, oh, they, it's like a shitty 80s comic movie. It wasn't like the Captain America movie or, or you know, oh. you know, the oh, God, dude, dude, the, the, the actual costume work that they, that they had in that first Ninja Turtles. Oh movie, yeah. And in the second one too. I, yeah. I, I will say both of them are solid. The third one, not my favorite, but still again, costume work from a practical effect standpoint is fucking phenomenal, dude. They did not skimp. I will say the second one, I know we're talking about the first one. But in the second one, I was really bummed out that we didn't get to see Super Shredder just for like fifteen seconds more because yeah, talk about badass outfits, dude. Like, you know who played wow. you know who played Super Shredder in that, right? What's that? You know who played Super Shredder in in two Secret of the U's, right? Yo, it's your homeboy, right? Kevin Nash. Yeah, dude. So can you? How does this audio sound? How does my audio sound on your end? It sounds Some good. I, yeah, we're getting like a ping every so often, but it's not bad. Okay. It's not bad. Um, but yeah, uh, well, something that I thought was uh, funny was um, the uh, actress, and her name's escaping me at the moment, who played April O'Neil. Someone to help me out what the actress's name was in the first one. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking hard on what her name was, but... She didn't reprise her role in the sequel because she didn't believe in the violence in the film. And was it's funny too because they definitely brought down the violence a lot. Judith Ho, Judith Ho. Like you, you can see like so much just the fight scenes alone. Like there, there's still fight, fight, quote unquote, fight scenes in the second one. But the first one, I noticed there's a lot more choreography. Oh yeah. Um, between fight scenes, you're actually seeing you know show offs between or showdowns between, um, you know, the Turtles and the Foot Clan. It, it's it's great, man. They, they spared no expense. I, I do find it hilarious, though. Thank you, Eric. Especially at the very end. Um, when they keep it showing uh, the, the street battles between the Turtles and the Foot Clan, dude, so we've both been to New York City like a bunch, and uh, we know that there's a billion people living there. And, uh, dude... Somebody would be bound to see that shit. There's no fucking way in hell that they could get away with that in the middle of the night. Like, see? somebody's going to see giant-ass turtles. <laughs> you can't just throw it. Like, that's what I love. It's just, like, Raphael's just, like, in a trench coat, like, going to the movies, too. What's that? Raphael's just in a trench coat going to the movies. No one realizes. And I love when he gets into the fight with Casey Jones in the park, too. He's just like, oh, man, I hate punkers. Especially ones with... We wear masks with or terrible green makeup. <laughs> like it's clearly like how do you not notice there's a huge giant fucking turtle like sitting in there watching like Tim Burton's Batman or something. 
It's insane, man. Like, especially when, like, that dude does that backflip, or uh, Raph does a backflip over the cab driver's, like, hood, and a dude in the back goes, what was that? Yeah, goes, some big title. Look like a big turtle in a trench coat. Uh, but that was, uh, well, that's what's interesting, too, is, uh, you know, New York City was a completely different place then than it is now. Like, that was when the, the uh, New York City was still, I mean, it, it is still, there's a level of danger there in, in any big city, but, like, I feel like the New York City uh, back in the 80s was definitely, we, we may have lost Lou. There's definitely a level, there was a level of danger in the 80s in New York City that there isn't so much now. I mean, I don't know, I, I think there was, like, I mean, because if you go to New York City, you know, there are no, like, trash cans. Like, people just, all these businesses and people just throw their trash on the street. It's literally on the street. So, yes, yeah, so you're going to have rats and things like that all over the place. But, I mean, as far as being, like, Jason Takes Manhattan, where there's just giant, like, trash cans of, like, toxic waste sitting around, maybe not so <laughs> so much. And, and that's another thing, as far as the beauty of that movie. It, it's fucking so great that they were able to really, like, get that the youth was kind of, like, fucked up enough and upset to the point that they're going to go hang out in a warehouse. It was very, like... Like Pinocchio, like like oh hey, here's this area where you can go and hang out and smoke cigars and fucking gamble and steal stereos, right? You know, like just this insane like statement about the youth at that time. Well, that's what the whole like the whole Foot Clan was. I mean, you can say whatever you want about Shredder. Shredder was like a mob boss, essentially. He was like a Japanese mob yeah. boss because that yeah, was like absolutely. a little that was like a little organized crime rank, you know, stealing electronics, knocking off whatever trucks they could. Um it was such a so it gave well New York City was a perfect setting then for, you know, uh the Ninja Turtles to have like, you know, crime to because I mean, wh what crime were they really getting in like I don't know, Sheboygan? <laughs> Can you imagine the the Teenage <laughs> Ninja Turtles in Sheboygan? Dude, that would be that would be one of the most boring fucking series of all time. Yeah, it it couldn't have been anywhere but New York City. I would have liked to have. Did the tr turtles ever trap like travel, travel, and like settle down anywhere for like a couple months? Even in like in the comics, did they ever go to like L.A. and they're just like, yeah, we're gonna go. Raph's just going to like a fucking Black Flag show. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting you mention that. So. They do end up on another planet at one point, yeah. essentially in like another dimension. But as far as like like going to LA or like hanging out in Denver or something, to my knowledge, even in the show, dude, even in the cartoon, yeah, they were very, they were very uh, well. They had to keep, they had to social distance from the uh, you know from pedestrians because they couldn't be discovered. Um, I feel like in the cartoon, though, they kind of got away from that. I feel like they were often, like, just, like, out, like, whenever they needed to be. Like, they weren't, they weren't like, hiding themselves as much. And it's in the movie that really focused on, like, that first few comics where they were truly trying to stay as ninjas and keep themselves hidden from the public and to, you know, and I think Splinter even says it 
says it in the one of the first series, and he also says it in the movie. You know, we we do our work in the shadows. Right. And, uh, and that that is all but thrown away in the second movie when they're fucking dancing on stage with an all ice. Yeah, literally performing a, a rap number. Like, just... A classic rap number at that. Uh, I did like, uh, in the sequel, though, I did like uh, Kino. I don't know why he was named after a casino game, but Kino, uh, being the pizza delivery guy who was, like, just, like, an inspiring ninja, that was a great, like, angle. And the, uh, Paige Turco is the actress who took over for Judith Hogue in the second one. And I saw people uh, talking about this and, and really just shitting on uh, Paige Turco, which I think she did a good job for for what it was. I mean, she's more memorable to me in the third one as, as much as the third one's my least favorite. Just because she does the, like, uh, she does the, the time travel sw- swap with the samurai. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, dude, that movie, I, I feel like... You know, trilogies of that era really suffer. I don't know what it is. And it's like, it, it's kind of the same idea with like Back to the Future Part 3, yeah. which is good. Come on, dude. I mean, if, if you stand up the first two movies to the third one, whether it's Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, whatever it might be, um, the, I think the only exception to the rule might be Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, but we'll leave that up to, you know, discussion. But, uh, but it's funny, dude. I, I did a I did a rewatch of the first one, and uh, after you had like mentioned this, like, oh hey, do you want to do this? You know, yeah, preparing for this, and I was like, oh yeah, 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 that sounds great. So I rewatched it. Yo, that that kid with the red hair, I can't remember. It, it was the son of like the, the television network producer there. Yeah, yeah, his name was Danny. 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 Yeah. Danny. Yo, that kid wore the same fucking Sid Vicious t-shirt for like three days in a row. Oh, like, yeah. Legitimately three days in a row. The same one. Oh, yeah. But he only had Sid Vicious shirts. Like, the whole movie. Well, yeah, did he wear another Sid Vicious shirt? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's all he wore. Alright, I take a real big issue with this, because they're in New York City. Why the fuck wasn't he wearing a Ramon shirt? Dude. You could have you could have had him wear a fucking a dead boy shirt, talking heads, blondie. It doesn't matter. You, you're wearing and, and I get it. Whatever vicious fucking died there. You're wearing the enemy. You're wearing the fucking enemy. Whatever, fucking. I I think I wonder. I even wonder if that was like uh like costume designers uh like oh you know the this is the Foot Clan's kind of like punk rock criminals like what's punk okay Sex Pistols okay Sid Vicious so it could have been just some like, bougie, like, yuppie, like, costume designer who's just like, oh, Sid Vicious is the only punk rock thing I can think of. Let's put him on a t-shirt. Um, he had a bunch of, like, he had a bunch of, like, Malcolm McLaurin-type motherfuckers in 1988-89 when they're writing the film being like, what are we going to have the youth wear? Now, pistols related, yeah. you know, Sid Vicious. So, so now we're gonna get to the real, the real hard hitting questions. What what was your turtle? Who was your who was you who were you a fan of growing up? What was your guy? Dude, so Raphael is he's the shit, dude. I mean, whether it was playing the games, even in the animated series, but finally seeing it on the big screen, it was like, whoa, this guy's an asshole. 
like a huge asshole, and but he's hilarious too, you know, because there's so many moments in the movie too where he, it's just like you're watching him fuck up like constantly, and it's like I can kind of relate to that a little bit. Well, he yeah, he brought like a real element, like obviously Donatello being the brain, Leonardo the leader trying to be like the sage like really trying to like take uh take the helm from splinter and be what splinter is you know really guide the rest of the turtles to what they're supposed to be and then you know michelangelo just really cares about like partying and pizza wholesome partying though he isn't like that's what i always loved about the ninja turtles they're very wholesome they they didn't really even though, even though we know for a fact, if if one person had passed Michelangelo a fucking joint at any one point, he would have been a totally different turtle. Oh yeah, that dude fucking party. But like you said, wholesome. <laughs> I mean, the guy he was a skateboarder. They all skateboarded. Yeah, and like come on. So if I had to, if I had to break, so growing up, I was a, a Leo fan. Like, being younger, I was a Leonardo fan. I always loved Michelangelo because he was just fun and just eating fucking pizza. And I could relate to that even today. Um, but Leonardo, I, I always lo- loved Leonardo because he just... I was just drawn to, like, the leader of the, the pack. But, you know, in recent years, probably the last 15 years, I'm like, oh, I could totally relate to Raphael. Like, just being pissed off, fucking... There's all, I mean, not so much in the in the comics, a little bit, not so much in that, but in the movie, like, he really, Raphael became, like, such a standout in the movie, because ultimately, he was the one that was jumped, and who they had to rescue, and who they, you know, had to, you know, will back and, and care for in the uh, abandoned farmhouse back to, so he's kind of like the catalyst of the, in the entire, like, movie, kind of, as far as the turtles go. Well, and, and what's another important part about his character in general is if he hadn't gone out in this, like, fit of being frustrated, never would have run into Casey Jones. He ne- they never would have had that other human oh, yeah. backup. Because Casey Jones was also, like, super helpful in them being able to stand up oh, yeah. as a force. Because they're fucking, they're, they're young teenagers. They're not fully equipped fighters. And Casey Jones actually could, could scrap, you know? Like, oh, yeah. He, he was kind of that other point. So, never would have met... If Raph wasn't being all pissy, they never would have met fucking Casey Jones. That... You're right. He is a catalyst. Dude. I'm telling you. And, you know, that whole scene where he meets Casey Jones in the park, though, is so fucking good. There's so many great fucking one-liners. All in the span of, like, a minute and, like, 20 seconds. I know. He's like, know. two minutes for roughing, pal! Like, it was fucking, like... <laughs> Fucking just killing me. What is this? A Jose Canseco bat? <laughs> Tell me you didn't pay money for this. The beauty of like the 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 time period jokes. Oh yeah. Because it's like we know it's like Jose Canseco. It's like yeah, we get it. It's like that's a joke about a a, a dude who had a great batting average back in the fucking late eighties and early nineties. Like yeah, we get that. Show that to someone now. Who the fuck's Jose Canseco? Wasn't he on that VH1 show, Celebrity? Yeah, oh yeah. Some people would watch it and be like, what, didn't he, wasn't he that guy on The Surreal Life or whatever the fuck show he was on? Surreal Life, dude, that's cool. That's Celebrity, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, back to, you know, Raphael playing the catalyst. He, He does play like a whole catalyst in the film. The rest of the Turtles are kind of, especially... 
like, I mean, Splinter too, because obviously once Splinter was taken, then they all had to band together, and, which, even that, I mean, it sounds like, uh, foolish even saying it, but like, that fucking, that scene with Splinter and the fire, that, those effects, which I believe is a projection, it wasn't CGI, it was a projection effect, which, which is funny, because we just talked about it on the top vampire films, uh, Roman Coppola, uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's son, uh, in the Dracula, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the 1992 film that he did, they used projections like that to omit because, I mean, in 92, the, the special effects were coming along because T2 had already been out, um, but they were super expensive, they were super, people still, you know, there was still a long learning curve to getting those, like, down, and that was a projection uh, of Splinter in the blue flame coming out of the fire, and that looks better than any CGI in any movie today. And the same with, you know, those projection uh, shots uh, uh, in Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. That, I mean, CGI is just so lazy. And, like, back to, like, the Ninja Turtle suits. They look so good and so realistic. I understand it's time-consuming making those suits and making the motorized head and things like that. And they're all about, all these movies are all about making money fast and quick. But if they made a movie like that with little to no CGI and put that much love into the practical effects of making like a suit like that, an animatronic, animatronic head, they would, they would see that money in the box office more than they would. Because I, although I did go see one of the two or newer Ninja Turtle movies, honestly, I was like, the second one, guess what? I didn't go see because I knew what I was getting. I was getting a bunch of CGI, but I still wanted to check it out. So I just waited either one. I, I mean, I'm a movie buyer, so I waited for it to come and, and then bought it, like, used it Soundgarden or something. But you didn't get my money in the movie theater because I knew what to expect. I mean, obviously, at that point, they were doing a sequel to that first, uh, you know, that first Turtles film, which I think came out in summer 2014. Um, but... It'll, it'll forever puzzle me that they just never... They never even try to... Horror movies do because it's a little easier and those are always lower budget and usually have more people that are a little more passionate about getting the film done and film done right. But there's so many people that don't... Or so many, you know, I guess movie makers who just fear ever doing that. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I've been vocal about it on here. Uh, there's a reason that there aren't many... Van, or, or vampire... There aren't... There's a reason there aren't many werewolf films is because you can't do a werewolf film with cgi without having it look super fucking weird and fake and dumb i.e wolfman 2009 terrible i mean good story great actors benicio del toro fucking phenomenal actor anthony hopkins fucking could act his goddamn balls around fucking 12 packs of fucking diet pepsi all day but He just, I mean, it just, as soon as you see that cartoony, weird sci-fi, I just think like 1997 Sci-Fi Channel original movie, CGI, and it just looks terrible, and it takes me out of the film. So, I'm I'm glad you bring this up, because it it is a super important point. So, I went and saw the animated TMNT, and I went and saw that first one the first michael bay fucking yeah. circle jerk in theaters and the same deal I, I think they would have been better off if they would have attempted if they're going to stick with cgi altogether 
go the animated route, make an entire animated exactly. Film, put put a bunch of money into it. Yeah, make it like the card, make it like the eighties cartoon. Yeah, exactly. When when you when you kind of like, I feel like when you do CGI like turtles, like they did. You, you kind of cut the story off at the knees, and it's just kind of like you said. It's, it looks fucking weird. I don't because when you have a super CGI turtle next to a human, in no way can you think like they look like a, a CGI turtle. Like they don't look like they're an actual like you know. I I don't know. It's just I mean it's it's I mean I would love for them to just try to explain it in like. Because it's supposed to, I understand suspending your disbelief, but that's literally like, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's a never-ending thing in Hollywood. We're never going to see the end of it. I mean, I, unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be a huge resurgence in practical effects in uh, non-genre films. So, even though that's like a comic book movie, obviously all those comic book movies are super, super CGI heavy. Um, but they have such loyal fan bases, especially when you talk Marvel, um, that it doesn't matter. And same with Star Wars. Like, people, like, most people don't care, like, about all the... Because, but the, a Star Wars movie is, like, kind of the kind of movie you are okay with seeing all the CGI because it's, it's in motherfucking outer space. There's some kind of, you gotta really suspend your disbelief because no one's fuck. you know what I mean? Like, it's not like... It's like having a CGI dog. Like, eventually, and I'm sure there has been, like, a CGI dog. Like, I don't know. But, on the opposition, something like Sonic, I feel like, kind of works. Even though I haven't seen the new Sonic movie. Um, I feel like that, to an extent, kind of works, because Sonic... Sonic was never put into practicality into, like, a movie. There was never, like, a blue hedgehog with the animatronic animatronic head you know in a movie there was ninja turtles we saw what the ninja turtles could be with real suits in the animatronic head so once you've done that you can't be like just kidding it's fucking all made on a computer now and now you have to pretend that a, a seven foot two really shiny looks like he's sweating turtle with a fucking bandana that's going like this fucking throughout the whole movie like there's no wind what is that doing what are you doing stop no because you know for a fact that fuck Will Arnett is standing next to a man in blue. You know, head to toe fucking man in blue. Exactly. Or, or green, I'm sorry, man in green. Yep. With the little fucking balls all over him. And... <laughs> but anyway, final, uh, what, you know, what was, uh, do you have any Ninja Turtle uh, regalia that you were always fond of as a kid? Was there any, like, specific toy or anything that you remember, like, fondly? Oh yeah, dude. So I was, uh, I was obsessed like as a kid and I had, at one point I had a lunchbox at the thermos. Um, I had a ton of the toys and I actually had a ton of the toys up until maybe 10 years ago. Like I think shortly after I got out of high school, I ended up them to like a, a collectible. I got rid of all my GI Joes. I got rid of all my turtles, all my Star Wars. But, um, but yeah, dude, definitely, uh, definitely all my figures. I had one in particular. I had one that was like really, really liked about. I believe it was a Raphael, 
and he was dressed in a Civil War uniform, in a Union Civil War uniform. I, th I believe it was a Union Civil War uniform. I remember this. All blue. I think he even had a Confederate flag on his arm. Oh, because so they so they did a they did like a Wild West type theme, and there was they did some villains in there too. But I had I, then there's pictures of me. My grandmother had him at her house. Whatever. I think it was a a, a Raphael in a in the blue. Yes, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And 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 Pink Mikey was in the fucking like Confederate uniform, like straight up like con picking like. We have, you know, uh, lay Dixie down, like... Uh, I'll tell you right now, I mean, better hope. <laughs> Hopefully we just didn't out, like, whoever created that now, and there's going to be, like, serious backlash, but... I mean, that's really hard. That's hard for people. Like, if you see that now, <laughs> I don't know what you even... Uh, how you even broach that. I do remember it. I can't say for certain if that Confederate flag was on there, but I feel like it was on, like, a hat that one of them was wearing or something. Dude, it, it was... Because, like, you it feel like you'd see it, like, right here. Or on the arm, yeah. Right. But, uh, but yeah, apart from apart from the other stuff, I mean, definitely, the all the toys were always, like, a huge deal. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I think it was Burger King... They were, you could get VHS tapes yep. of episodes. So my grandmother, and this is another this is another thing that I had with like getting turtle shit. My dad's mom uh, worked. I told you this before. My dad's mom worked at Ames in Oneida. So I always had like a fucking bead on getting like whatever. Right. You know, I'd save fucking money from birthdays or whatever. But um she would hook me up from time to time with, with stuff. But because she worked in Oneida, because she worked at Ames during that time period, she went to Burger King quite a bit. And I think I ended up with like two or three out of the four VHS tapes. And dude, they were like, I think only like one or two episodes per tape. So it wasn't like the yeah, other one. yeah, yeah, three. No, uh, and uh, Burger King, I actually remember, and I actually have the VHS, and I watched the VHS probably 10 years at this point, but I have a VHS, um, and I have a making of the VHS, and I believe there's even a Burger King, um, a Burger King and a Pizza Hut uh, commercial, or whatever you want, a trailer commercial before the film, too, um, because they were promoting it, but... In the film, which is funny, because um, I th during the film they delivered a Domino's pizza, so there was some kind of rights uh, issue between Domino's and the film, um, and then they went to Pizza Hut, and then they were strictly you know promoting Pizza Hut. Dude, I am so glad that you brought this up. Oh, I got a huge uh, issue. Yeah, keep talking. I'm gonna grab the VHS to see if that Burger King logo is on the back. Okay, do it to it. Okay, I can't find dude, the, man, uh, this is the behind the shit. still listening, dude, I agree with you. General Grievous was probably the only, like, cool CGI thing in that Star Wars film. So this is a special collector's tape of the making of the first two films 
Oh, no, it's the second one, but it doesn't say the second one. But it does have vanilla ice right on the back. <laughs> um, Dude. But, yeah, continue what you were, what you were going to uh, spring on me. So, you're telling me right now there's four teenagers in New York City of pizza. That's their choice. And they're fucking, they're ordering some fucking Domino's. Nothing against Domino's now, like whatever. They've come a long ways, but like, you can go to fucking Ray's, Ray's Original, Original Ray's. Like, you couldn't have gone to any of those other places. Dollar slices that are like this fucking big. Well, fucking, literally, Domino's. some of the most famous and the they most. They public. The, what? They couldn't go out in public. They had to order. You could still get delivery from. Bridget goes, they couldn't go out in public. They had to order. I go, I understand, I, I understand that, but they couldn't fucking sales delivers. Probably not. Maybe Domino's, Domino's, because uh, it probably was late. Bridget's like, at 2 in the morning? So Domino's might have had a monopoly on that late night pizza craving after you just shredded some ass in the park with Casey Jones. You needed some fucking pizza. Domino's is the only fucking option. Maybe we just solved the entire fucking thing. But any self-respecting New York City or New York Cityite, New York city in would, uh, I don't know if they'd ever eat Domino's. I feel bad eating Domino's. I feel like a, like a weirdo sometimes <laughs> eating Domino's. Well, it's like, it, it's, it's almost like, it's like Michael Scott going to New York City and ordering Sbarro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, in Sbarro's, and don't get me wrong, dude, Sbarro's and, Sbarro's is pretty fired. Like, doesn't he, doesn't he say something like, he's like, little New York pizza, little New York pizza in New York. <laughs> Oh my god. So speaking Unreal. speaking of uh you know, I asked what you know your prized possessions were. So if you remember the slash action figure, that was always one of my favorites. But actually I just found on eBay a couple months ago my prized possession. So I had I believe like a lime green version of this, and I always wanted a pink one, and I found it dead stock, and I think you've seen it, but I'll show anybody, the four people watching, um, my dead stock Ninja Turtles water bottle. Yo, nice, dude. From 1988, Mirage Studios, officially licensed. So, I had to... That's, that's sick. I mean, I was so... Because it was like $5 with like three eighty shipping. Uh, literally, it didn't have, like, a weird, like, you know, like, Marlboro smell in it or anything, like, didn't smell like fucking, like, a pack of Cools or anything like that. It had, like, it smelled, and I think it, yeah, it still smells like plastic, like when you're a young kid, and you fill up something like this, as soon as you get it, fill it up with water and drink it, and you can taste the plastic. I haven't drank out of this yet, but it may be coming soon. I have, uh, I have two things that I acquired um, in high school, and I actually acquired them. One of them someone gave to me, but the other one I got actually at the Salvation Army in Chenango. So I'm going to grab those because they're right over here. So give me two seconds. Yeah, yeah, no problem. What about you, Matt? Matt, where was, uh, since you're still watching, uh, where, was your, where were you at with the uh, Ninja Turtle stuff? Did you ever get into it as a kid? I'm always interested to see if people who are a year, two, or three years younger than me, if they were uh, as crazed on the Ninja Turtles as uh, as I was. 
Well, that'd be interesting to to hear anyway. Like, just what what the reaction was because I mean, Matt. Matt and Eddie, like, they weren't too much younger than us, you know? Right, right. It was still, the Turtles were still so popping. So, I can't find the other one, but I found this coming out of their shell on cassette tape. Nice. So, they did a a tour to support after the second film, and it was a live-action, like, song and dance tour. Oh, yeah, I remember this, yeah. Dude. If you watch some of the footage, it's really bad. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, too. But I ended up with this, and it was always one of those coveted things because it was like, oh, you know, like, I don't don't ever see shit like this at Salvation, I mean, Chenango, you know? Something else. All original songs. Oh, (laughs) it's so good. Something else I was uh, I was always pumped on were the uh, cereal bowls that you got with the cereal. Dude, I've been hunting for like a decent a decent couple cereal, but there's so much of that shit that I used to have, and I just don't. I do have some of the cups in storage, and I have some original pins too, all like '88 Mirage Studios before the movie. Um, and I still have a lot of stuff packed away with you know seven thousand fucking tops cards. Um, but uh, yeah, it was so marketed even before the movie. So mar- Dude, so merchandised. I had, uh, I, had I had actually that was the other thing I was going to show you was it was a great big fucking like Ninja Turtles pin the Mirage like yeah it was obviously a cartoon uh, the animated series but it was uh, it was like heavy duty and I can't remember someone gave it to me in like freshman year it was just like a fat hat of it right. What's that? It was just like the fat head of a Ninja Turtle, right? No, this was all four of them together and okay. it had like the logo. But it was set in white. Um, like a white background of the pin. It was cool. I like I wore it on like sweaters and whatever dumb bullshit I was wearing, you know, fucking to, to high school. Uh another fucking uh piece of oh my god, it was a wooden toy ch- wooden square toy chest. Often referred to uh, between the parameters of Pine Ridge Road and 13 and 31 as a toy box. Toy box. Let me get that toy box there. Um, but it was a wooden uh, box with the latches, the metal latches on the sides, and it had all the art. Like, each side was a different turtle and stuff. And I had that fucking thing and until it fucking, I don't know, decayed or broke or fucking termites got, I don't even know. But I had that thing for years, and I, I I always try to find one of those. I found one that was all like waterlogged for like a hundred nine bucks on eBay. I was like, "Fuck that! I'm not giving a hundred nine bucks for some waterlogged piece of shit." Dude, I'm I'm pretty sure that Peter Finicaro had the turtle van. I'm pretty sure he had that, and it was like the coolest shit ever because it was like. God damn, it's like, I got a bunch of toys, but, like, I don't have vehicles. You know, when you go to a motherfucker's house that has vehicles, it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yes, uh, Matt, Matt said he he fell into the Power Rangers gang. Yeah, I was Power Rangers, too. I was simultaneously fucking Power Rangers and uh, Turtles. Turtles were, like, my, my you know, my, my first uh, foray into... Uh, you know, being obsessed with something like that, like a cartoon or like a live action, whatever. 
Uh, and then Power Rangers, definitely. Power Rangers was fucking huge. I had the fucking gloves. Looked like a goddamn psycho just running around with the fucking gloves on through, like, Ames. And Eric's had toy box for... Eric said toy box for life, so and he didn't even he didn't even he knows, but he said that was my prize turtle item back in the day, the van with the figures, of course. Dude, he was one of those kids, he had the vehicles. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I always I feel like my parents for fucking years, from like legit from like ninety one to like ninety six, my mom would always go hit fucking Salvation Army in Chenango, man. She'd find every fucking cocksucking Ninja Turtle fucking thing there ever was. Ever. I had so much shit, because my mom would always find it, like, fucking secondhand. Like, just... I don't even know how she found some of the shit. But you gotta think, some of that shit came out in 88, 89, 90. So at five or six years old, that shit was just, you know... Kids were fucking, you know, they had, had had it for five years and threw it out. And then I fucking got it, so... I remember getting, uh, Power Rangers I remember getting new, but a lot of the Ninja Turtle stuff, because it was coming out before I was like in the, you know, a lot of that shit was coming out in the late 80s, and I was born in 88, so a lot of that shit wasn't coming out until then, so. Eric, was your van with the figures in it, was that store-bought, or was that, was that second hand? Oh, that was totally store-bought. <laughs> that was an amazing birthday or Christmas. See, I feel like I feel like uh, my parents would always like I if I would get something like that, they'd be like, "That's for your fucking birthday too. Your birthday's in two months. That's yeah. for your birthday too." But uh, but uh, I'm they weren't that much though back in the day. I mean, Christmas gift. Oh, that was a good Christmas then. That had to been Christmas ninety one. That, that had to be a great Christmas morning, like nineteen ninety four. You know. <laughs> Fucking so good. Um, but I guess uh, wrapping up uh, the Turtles talk, uh, any closing thoughts on the 30th anniversary of the film? And uh, and any other thoughts on that before we get your uh, top five vampire flicks? I think it's definitely an important movie, uh, just if, for fans of the franchise in general. Um you know, Pizza Dude's Got 30 Seconds is still, like, one of my favorite, like, quotes in general. You know, after you, like, order a pizza or something, oh, it's just, yeah. like, Pizza Dude's Got 30 Seconds. Oh, like, yeah. But it's, like, I, I just think people should watch it specifically because of the writing. Um, you know, the, like we talked about before, the, the difference in, like, the violence between the first and the second one. The second one is definitely geared a little bit more towards being a kid's movie, whereas this kind of walks the line. The choreographed fight scenes and uh you know the costume work is phenomenal um but yeah dude i mean to this day uh turtles in time i know mike just posted about it dude turtles in time is still like one of my favorite did they put uh, that SNES games like of all time all right did i see that they're putting that out for the switch they had they had a version that you could download for the wii that was like a reloaded version and i wouldn't be surprised if they re-released it for the Switch, too. I, I, I wonder, but Eric, uh, Eric had said uh, every kid from our area and our generation has some sort of memory playing the arcade game at Pepe's. Oh, yeah, 100%. You, were you even... Were, do you even know Madison County if you didn't do that? <laughs> Dude, I spent so much in my of my parents' fucking money... Oh, yeah. ...pumping... Pumping tokens into that thing. And dude, you know what the fucked up thing is too? By the end, like before, like when we were in high school and all that stuff, 
there I can't remember which character it was, but like a couple of them did like one of them did work or like the the jump didn't fucking work. So it's like you get two or three of you at the machine, but it's like, dude, you can't be you can't be Michelangelo because he can't fucking jump. You know, the one of the main mechanics of the game you need. So it's like busting. Oh this, yeah. Like so this uh, company called One Up Arcade put out. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade on and Turtles in Time. I think it has had both of them on there. Chris Clausen actually got it and has it in his apartment right now. And I played it over there when I went in, over there in the fall, last fall. Dude, so Matt Clark, uh, Wally World man, he uh, he actually sent us a picture of it. They had it in Oneida. Yeah, they like, still have. They still have it. Yeah. I, the, well, my only gripe about that is, is like it's the screen is so much tinier than like a regular arcade. Screen. Oh yeah, yeah, it's smaller for sure. So it's like at that point, it's like I'll just plug in the SNES, you know, and rock or rock like an emulator or something. Your, uh, I believe this is your drummer who said those two are the best side-scrolling arcade games ever made. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I honestly, being completely honest with you, I don't think other than like. Maybe Batman Returns, which was the fucking hardest and dumbest and worst game to ever fucking play ever. Um, shout out one of the... Oh yeah, there's a couple... Before we uh, wrap up our Turtle Talk, there's a couple... Uh, Eric just uh, reminded me. There's a couple awesome fucking Turtle pages on Instagram that post... Either make their own Ninja Turtle shit... Or just post cool Ninja Turtle shit. But there's a lot of merchandise you can fucking find too. One of them is TMNT underscore Wiz... And they just post art. They sell art. Uh, and then the other one's uh, Ninja Toitles. T-O-I. Uh, those ones, they have fucking amazing art. They always post like anybody's links to any merchandise, which there's a lot of new merchandise out right now. Um, there's uh, They post art, uh, all kinds of shit on there. Um, I'll definitely, uh, when I make the post, I'll try to tag them. So you guys could see those because I showed Eric them and they're really fucking cool. They have so much shit. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that. So there's one that I follow. It's literally called Pizza Dude's Got Thirty Seconds, and same thing. Are uh, all different types of like turtle related posts. Um, but I actually I know back 2000 maybe 14. Um, right around when uh, Nickelodeon made that big acquisition of like the turtles like show and all that or they created a new show uh i don't know do you ever listen do you ever get into like like giant cupcakes related merch right yeah now? yeah definitely Def definitely like back in the you know mid 2000s later 2000s for sure like from you know 05 to 2010 for sure anthony so you fucking joined he's fucking an hour late <laughs> dude punk rock time right yeah oh yeah he knows better, though. He was always on time. No, the uh, the why I bring up giant giant cupcakes is because like I have one of those shirts from like 2013, 2014, whatever. But uh, as far as like the 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 Ninja Turtles one, those are like legit, dude. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Ninja Turtles obviously a uh, huge uh, influence still on us today. That you know. Just, uh, they are, when people talk about superheroes, and I know Marvel's got a big dick these days and everybody's got their lips around it, uh, and that's fine, 
Uh, nothing against it. I like some of the Marvel mo Marvel movies. Honestly, I haven't watched a newer Marvel movie in probably six or seven years. I think the last one was the the remake of the the reboot of the Spider Mans with Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. I I got those. I like those, even though I love the Sam Raimi ones. Yeah, the first two. The third one, eh, not so much. But um, so I'm not like a big comic book guy. Anything Batman related, I'm all in for, especially the crossover comics with Batman and the Ninja Turtles, which is amazing. Uh, but when people ask me, you know, what's your favorite uh, superhero? Superhero Rose, always. Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles, oh, by far. Yeah. By far. People forget about them because they weren't... And I think their comics were released later. They had been branded through DC, I think, especially because a lot of the Batman crossover stuff. Um, even though it was still, it was always Mirage Studios or whatever that had has always licensed them, which is Eastman and uh, his partner, which his name's escaping me, but but yeah, Laird. Eastman and Laird. I like it. Uh, Matt Clark says uh, DC all the way. Nothing against like all those uh, all the other all the Marvel movies. I just haven't seen them, and honestly, like. They don't interest me. That's just me. That's my personal preference. I know fucking going to get a lot of hate from anybody who's like a diehard, uh, uh, you know, Marvel fan. But I've always been like, never really like Superman either from DC. Always loved Incredible Hulk. Batman's the shit though. Batman's number two. Turtles are number one. I love saying it because people don't ever expect it or think about it either. Dude, the the best part the best part about the series in general. Cause like Shredder is like one of my favorite, he's like one of my favorite villains of all time. I want to say that both he and the Cobra Commander are essentially tied for me as far as first place, like just badass. Oh yeah, like villains, like just so awesome. And the Foot Clan is so fucking cool. Like, just, yeah, just how they like. They weren't like as a uh, to to give you a good uh, opposition. Like for Power Rangers, they had the the putties. They were called, I think. Which, which, I don't know why, they always go, oh, oh, like that, do you, do you remember that, making that noise, the, like, the Foot Clan ripoff, fucking, like, those things were terrible, and they were just, like, in, like, a gray spandex suit with, like, a weird, like, it, their face was made out of putty, and I think they were called putties for that reason. Terrible. The Foot, the Foot Clan, though, they had the, like, fly eyes, they looked like, uh, the band The Locust, if you've ever seen The, the Locust, that, that's what they wore, like the, the fly eyes and fucking... <laughs> if, you, uh, if you actually look at some of uh, the drawings and like the other figures that they had, like you had, you had some of the Foot Clan that obviously in the movies were very like humanist, like humanoid. They were, right. they were people. But then you look at some of the drawings and they're almost like all like disfigured and like weird elongated heads and shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's wild, man. Talk about just this insane group of like, you know, Anthony coming in with some, he said, Jesse, you should put in some headphones. You can hear, Anthony, I saw that phone earlier, you rocking. That fucking iPhone is like a 4S. Get a fucking new iPhone. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> You got a hashtag tips. Tips. It's really scratchy from the other dude. He goes, yo. Uh, but anyway, regardless. Uh, moving on. Let's get... 
Fucking sound man Anthony over here. How bad is it? <laughs> um, anyway. Sorry. Sorry. One R. Um, do you have your, uh, your top five vampire films? I do. Give me one second. I'm gonna get so, I'm gonna get headphones and see if this will take it away. See if we can't appease old Ant here. There. I just want to let everyone know that's watching right now that uh, Bridget is home making Bridget is home making masks right now out of vacuum bags per her uh, research. So. Because the, the CDC, I guess, is on the, the brink of uh, acknowledging that everyone should be wearing masks, even though they, they went out of their way to say, no one wear fucking masks. The fucking healthcare workers need them. And then they're like, okay, well, essentially, if someone's got their, their dick halfway out of their pants and the breeze catches it right, you're going to get fucking coronavirus in your eyes. So maybe everyone wear masks. <laughs> All right, hold on. Okay. Give it a shot. One second. Let's. Uh, you can start rattling off. Let's. Uh, from five to one. Let's hear your. Uh, let's hear your vampire list here. Okay. So the uh, the bottom number five, and this actually is funny because I know that we've mentioned uh, Peter Finicaro. This will now be the second ass time that we've mentioned that. <laughs> But, uh, so I watched this movie in probably third grade, uh, with Ed Belge or Ed Begley fucking junior. And, uh, it was called Transylvania six, 5,000 and had Michael Richards and Gina Davis. Okay. We're back. All right. So, uh, Transylvania six, 5,000. I like that, that pick. That's an interesting pick. Um, they actually just released that on Blu-ray, I believe, or it's, I think it's out or it just came out on Blu-ray. Um, I'm unsure of the special features. I think it's an Olive or a Kino Lorber release, but, um, unsure of the special features. Great film though. Great film. Very funny. So, uh, moving up, uh, I'm definitely going to go, it might not be a traditional like zombie film, uh, but number four is definitely going to be Monster Squad because it's just like. Holy fucking shit. This, this encompasses everything. And the reason I, I do peg it as being a, like, or I, I put in the category as being, like, a zombie or a vampire, a vampire flag is because, um, you know, Dracula is the essentially the leader of that crew. See, this is, uh, that's what, uh, Eric, Eric, I think, because you, you were on, you were on the Monster Squad uh, episode we did, right? Or were you just on the Night of the Creeps episode? Were you on both, right? Lou? I believe I believe I did both. Yeah. Uh, well, Monster Squad's Eric's like end all be all film, and I actually I told them I was like it has to be a true blue vampire film. You can't fucking put Monster Squad on there because it's that. But I'll take it on yours because I like hearing the the trend or the uh, the contrast um, of what what someone that I didn't say you know true blue vampire film because yes he is the main he's the main guy he's the main monster villain. Um, and he's a me very memorable vampire character for sure. And I, I mean, it's well, fucking it, Monster Squad. 
the, the whole reason that entire film or the story, you know, the story in the film happened was because of Dracula. Like, so that's why I kind of will put that as like, oh, this is a vampire film. It's like, yes, it encompasses all the monsters, all the famous monsters, but it's like none of that would have happened if Dracula and Van Helsing, that whole struggle, like, that set up the movie. That's up the whole movie. Right. So number three, um, I'm going to go with Salem's Lot specifically because, A, as, as you and I both discussed, it, it, ad nauseum, fucking huge Stephen King fan, both both the, the, the written works oh, as yeah. well as the films, um, but the movie itself is fucking super creepy, dude. Oh, yeah, it, it's, it's 100%. Uh, and that's another thing, because initially we weren't sure we were going to uh, include that because it, initially it was a, considered a TV movie. It was a two-part TV movie. But it has since been released. It's never been released like a TV movie since then. It has always been uh, just released as a full film. So I consider it a full film. It's so fucking good. Uh, Toby Hooper, obviously, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, one and two fame. Um, I mean, it's 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 super creepy, super classic, a classic gothic, you know, telling uh, while making your 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 vampire. Uh, you know, very Nosferatu-esque to um, not making him like a traditional like Dracula-looking gimmick, or uh, and it was just, it's still super fucking creepy to this day. Well, and, and I have one of the reasons too why I hold that film uh, so high in regard is it is you know Salem's Lot was one of my first like King books that I had read, but also like it tells you know Fog Callahan is obviously the the main, like, you know, the, 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 the church figure, um, we see him again in the Dark Tower series, and uh, I just, I thought David Soul's like, portrayal of Father Callahan in the film, and then obviously reading the Dark Tower series, uh, he's one of my favorite characters, so I have, uh, I have a, kind of an emotional attachment there, but, uh, but yeah, dude, the, the fucking film's super creepy, still to this day, and it's... Crazy. And that was 79, think about how fucking old that film is, and it still holds up, that it's a credit to the actors, the story, uh, Stephen King, his ability to tell those stories and for, you know, to get, you know, a master of horror like, um, um, like Toby Hooper saying, you know, or, you know, telling his story, his version of, uh, that King work. That's, uh, that's why it's so good. So that was your number three, right? That was number three. Three. Um, Number two is Fright Night, and it's the and I'll go with I'm going with the first Fright Night, uh, not the remake with fucking Colin Farrell, even though I'm sure it's wonderful. I still haven't seen it yet, or the one with the chip. Haven't seen either one of those. But um, you saw the original say, Fright Night too, right? What's that? You saw the original Fright Night too, the original sequel to Fright Night, right? No, no, I haven't seen that one. Oh no, that's from 1988, and it is uh, Eric and. Uh, Eric and Vouch on here, and Brian, if Brian's still watching as well. That one is highly entertaining. A little more comedic, but fucking awesome. The the original, like, the original one just totally fucking, it's so good. Everything about it, it's definitely, it's definitely a longer movie. It clocks in, what, a little, right before two hours or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, it, so the story is it's a little long, but, I mean. It never, dra it never drags even being that long. It's it's so good. I mean, across the board, the, the cast was just fantastic. Sarandon is still just like that 
that consummate, like, uh, you know, snooty, like, evil motherfucker. And he pulls it off so well. Suave. I mean, that's probably a hairy ass chest. Honestly, I've, uh, I haven't met Chris Sarandon personally. I've watched him interact with people and decided not to get his autograph, and especially heard from friends how he acts. And he kind of acts like that, but not as charming. And, and it's probably from those Tim Burton Nightmare Before Christmas checks. But I saw I saw a girl walk up to him, and I want to say this is Horror Hound 2010 in Cincinnati with Eric and Brian and our friend Ashley. We went to that one, and I remember him sign. A girl walked up, and she's like, "Oh my god, I love you!" And he's like, "Yeah." And he fucking just signed it and pushed it back over to her. And that was it. And uh, and I was like, yep, not meeting Jerry Dandridge because I can't bite my tongue. And that's how I still kick myself to this day for not meeting Jason Patrick from Lost Boys who played Michael in the Lost Boys. And, and anybody that knows me knows that Lost Boys is my, my, my magnum opus for all film. Um, but he just looked annoyed and... I didn't feel like I wanted to annoy him. Like, who's this fucking fat blonde kid, like, trying to come up to me and fucking... Um, and he looked a little more over... He looked a little more comfortable with, like, the younger, like, horror girls coming up to him. He felt like... I felt he was like, man, wonder if they saw Speed too. Uh, uh, but he just... I didn't want the movie to be ruined for me, because if he was a dick, I'd be like... I'd never be able to watch Lost Boys without being like, Oh yeah, Jason Patrick was a fucking kind of a dick. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Uh, but yeah, uh, Fright Night is just, I mean, it's, it's dead center in the middle of the 80s, 1985. You get everything. You get like fucking goofy fucking 80s sweaters. You get, you know, the dance sequence in the club. Dude, the dance sequence is just so insane, man. It's insane. Oh yeah. It's uh, also... Dude, and a killer soundtrack as well. Oh, yeah. I have the soundtrack. It's so fun. I mean, Jay Giles band, too. Uh, one of my favorites. Uh, but uh, something we talked about, too, is uh, how in the 80s, uh, males uh, having their way or, or being a little more forceful with uh, their, their sexual advances in the 80s it <laughs> maybe doesn't translate well in 2020. Dude, it, it, it's just like when you watch it through this lens now, it's like, wow. It's like he is 100% keeping people against their will yeah. and like forcing himself. Like, you don't think, you know, watching that as a kid, it's almost like it doesn't register. I actually watched it. I watched someone uh, post uh, Kazentite. Uh, I watched someone post like a, like a video, like meme thing. Or it's just like movies where there was, uh, there was, uh, you know, s- sexual, uh, unwanted sexual advance- advances. And that was one of them. And after it, I don't know if you've seen Horrible Bosses. Have you seen Horrible Bosses? Oh, yeah. When, oh, yeah. Tr- when Charlie Day's character's like, that's rape. That's a rape. You're a raper. <laughs> like, they, fucking, they played that after they showed the Fright Night clip where, where Charlie was just trying to make it with Amy. Which he did at the end, so. But he also out. he also saved her life. So, so you're uh, you're number one. I know what it is. Matt Clark said he could guess it. So let's hear it. Let's let's hear the reveal. So, so my number one is uh, from Dust Till Dawn, and I know again you and I have talked about this. I've 
stayed up way too late talking to Matt about this um, on certain nights. But the reason why I think it's one of the best, uh, I would say horror films, uh, but also vampire films is because it essentially could be two films and they could be standalone films. They'd be great. Yeah. One of them could be a heist film. One of them could be a, a horror film. And what's so great, um, what, what completely sold me on it is, is the fact that you can go through the, the whole first part of that movie and it's like, whoa, this is badass. George Clooney, Tarantino, the, the writing is good. Everything just fits together so perfectly. They capture Harvey Keitel. Like, and then you get to the titty twister and it's a whole other fucking like, what the fuck oh, just yeah. happened? And it's great, dude. It's great. I, I almost am, I, I, for as long as I've loved that film, I've always wondered what it would have been like if they never did the vampire angle and it was just like a heist film. I feel like it would have, it would have surpassed uh, his other works and Cheech, Cheech with two, two different roles in that film. Actually, I take it back, was it two? Yeah, it was two, I thought it was three for a second. No, it was three, it was three, it was three, it was, it was, three. It was, it, it was the border... The Border Patrol guy, uh, uh, Apple Pie Pussy guy. Yeah. And, this, and then and he played his buddy. Yeah, and then he played Carlos. Carlos, yeah. Uh, and there's so many... That's definitely George Clooney's best uh, role, hands down. I mean, he right. fucking... I wish he would fucking... I mean, I even love the Carrie King uh, tribal, like, tattoo... Flame tattoos all over him. Fucking... He was just like a... Badass. He outacted everyone in that film, and if you can say, uh, and you could say you outacted fucking Harvey Keitel, that says something. Oh, and, and it was so great, like, it, I know we've talked about that Full Tilt Boogie, which is essentially the making of that, that documentary. Right, and all um, the drama surrounding For that. those of y'all, like, listening, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm pretty sure you can access it either on... YouTube, or I think it, it was on Netflix, maybe, or Hulu, for a, a short period of time. It was. I believe it's on Shutter now, and it may be on Prime as well. And if anybody can get... I got, see, I got it... I got it with the DVD yeah, yeah, collection. Same. It was a two-dimension yeah, collection or whatever. So that Full Tilt Boogie is on this edition of... And I know I showed you this last summer when I picked it up. This is actually a Korean... Uh, release of From Dusk Till Dawn. It came with several different options for slip covers. There was like a pink slip cover with the uh, Santonico Panyamonium, uh, you know, Selma Hayek on it. And this one's really cool. I don't know if you can see it, but it has the like snake, it has the like snake scales on it. And uh, and it's it's a cool little steel book. And uh, the menus are all in Korean, but it's all region. It plays. Unfortunately, while the transfer is great, it's a pan and scan, so you're not getting a widescreen representation of the film. Most people that won't bother, but this was just too cool not to own, and especially I didn't pay that much for it, so I had to pick it up. I still own the DVD, though, just because I, I'm a hoarder. I don't know. But yeah, I mean... It's uh, it's almost like the first half of the film is a Tarantino film, and then the second half of the film is a Robert Rodriguez film, almost. Right. Because I mean, and you can definitely, you can definitely tell too. Like by the end of the film, it's just, it's so great because you get to see the actual like. I feel like with Clooney's character, it's like he kind of stays 
the same level of stressed out throughout the entire film, even with the fucking vampires and all this shit happening. But you get to see the development of Julia Lewis's character. Like, you just get to see all these people go through fucking hell. It's phenomenal, dude. Phenomenal. And uh, that's what uh, I kind of... Even in the bar, when um, when Jacob's like... Uh, are you such a fucking loser? You can't tell when you've won. Even when they've escaped, they made it across the fucking border. He's literally got to sit there in the bar, watch titties, drink tequila, and wait for Carlos to come in the morning. Um, he's just like, you know, he's saying, like, are you fucking... I'm still stewing about that ape laying his hands on me. So many fucking great lines, like, in that movie. Um, and Carby Keitel is amazing in that film. Like, you know, the, the, the fallen angel preacher who is just like, you know... Uh, amazing dynamics in that film too and it's unfortunate because there are so many different dynamics in that film and that films like that kind of get written off as like oh it's a fucking quentin tarantino like splatterfest like and robert rodriguez directed it so it's just you know although he did get some praise for el mariachi at the time and i think uh, in desperado uh, just prior to this but at the same time kind of gets written off as a genre film but it incorporates so many different things as far as genres go, and it's it's unfortunate that the genre of horror never gets its due, especially when there's vamp... Like, some genres get, like, a little bit of credit, and it, they're usually, like, paranormal fucking, you know, cost fucking $3 million to make and made $47 million, uh movies. Like, those paranormal movies, or, or even like that, when you see Academy, like, I mean... Obviously, we're biased. We're genre film fans. We're horror film fans. But when you see a movie that is like has so many twists and turns and amazing storytelling and and plot, uh, it goes dip, so many different plot avenues and it's so well written and so well executed that the fact that From Dusk Till Dawn, because there were vampires in it and there was blood in it, they would never. It would never, under any circumstance, be up for any awards. It would never fucking be at the like the Academy Awards. You would have never, under any circumstance, had fucking like Whoopi Goldberg and Helen Hunt up there. And the movie for uh, best uh, screenplay goes to From Dust Till Dawn. Never gonna happen. Never gonna happen. And I, I almost like that's why I still love that at those award shows. Uh, whenever Tarantino puts a film out. He is so revered now, even with all of his craziness, that they can't deny him any. They can't deny him. They just can't. And that's why I wish he would do like a fucking uh, do like another from dusk till dawn. You know, obviously Robert Rodriguez did it, yes. But there's no denying that there was a huge, uh, you know, collaboration between Quentin and, and Rodriguez, without a doubt. Oh, d dude! From from everyone that they employed. On, on the from practical effects, I know the I know uh, Rodriguez is really big. He's like a musician, um, and he does a lot of his like uh, soundtracks and stuff, like or the, the score composition. Um, but you could easily you could easily have them do something similar to that. Bring in all of your you know, your K and B. Bring them in. You, you got the, the the people are there. Yeah, it's just a matter of how well it's going to be received. And at this point, it's like. Dude, you you're 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 kind of at that point to where you could easily do that. You could oh, easily yeah. do that. And uh Oh yeah, Matt was saying, uh I believe your drummer said twenty years ago uh found footage was a thing. Nowadays 
the most she can have is get out winning awards, and that's true. And I, honestly, I think Absolutely. as much as I, I do respect what Jordan Peele did uh, with uh, with Get Out and with us, and uh, he's remaking Candyman now. Um, I think uh, you know it's touching a, a social element that is helping it get in, and it's not even because any of those you know older white idiots give a fuck about anything political he's trying to say they're just trying to like oh yeah we'll we'll let jordan peele like in there it's just trying to like you know almost like glad hand him and almost patronize him and his filmmaking it's not getting in for the right reasons my opinion my opinion Uh, dude i i agree it's i was just talking about this the other day it's it's no different than 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 ghostbusters like the new ghostbusters or the oceans films it's different when you're doing it not out of pressure from society. You're doing it to just do it versus what are the motives behind doing it. Right. You see what I'm saying? Does that oh, make yeah. Sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yes, it's a good thing that you're doing it, but you're not doing it for the reasons that we would. Your, your reasons for right. getting it involved are not the same reasons that the fans or Jordan Peele would have for getting it involved. But then again, at that point, if I'm making that much money, I could give a fuck what the reasons are, whether they believe my political views or not. I'll take what I can get. But me personally, like your your drummer had said, nowadays the most you can get is uh, Get Out winning awards. I don't see Get Out as a horror film, really. That is more like uh, you know suspense, Hitchcockian, yeah, Twilight Zone esque gimmick. Uh, but that's just me. I'm not saying it's a bad movie at all. I just don't think that that is a true blue horror movie. And I think, but I, I, I think that says something though. Like you're you're on the money with that. It's yeah. saying how society is categorizing what a horror film is. I agree with you. I don't think it's a horror film at all. Psychological thriller at best. Yeah, exactly. And and people see that and they're like, oh, that's a horror film. It's like, uh, it's it's not a horror film, no. <laughs> But again, that's if that's what it takes for them to win awards, it's like I guess. Well, it's the same thing with like the Grammys. Like uh, in 1991, um, Metallica didn't win the best metal album of the year. Jethro fucking Tall did. Dude, yeah, that's right. That's right. Or like for best like rock performance, I think like five or six years ago. Uh, all these amazing, like, rock uh, songs, like, Foo Fighter songs and shit didn't win, but fucking uh, Tenacious D's cover of a Dio song won. And even political. even Tenacious D even said, even Jack Black's like, he's just like, he's like, uh, it's so funny because Dio would have never been nominated for any award for this ever, yet, you know, we're getting an, a Grammy for covering one of his songs, yet you've never acknowledged... You've never acknowledged Dio ever, dude. It's it, at this point, it's been proven time and time again. It's just they're they're all political decisions. And Motorhead, not Motor, not to interrupt you, but Motorhead's been nominated for one Grammy, I believe. You know what that was for the fucking cover of Anna Sandman. Dude, what's up with covers? What's up with these covers? Because that's now two that you mentioned. Tenacious D covering a Dio song and, and Motorhead, like... Motorhead didn't win. Fun. Motorhead didn't win, but it's the only one they were nominated for was covering Enter Sandman. Um, That's wild. Uh, but yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, we, we went right out into a rabbit hole with that one. I like it. 
I know. Dude, so so go ahead. You your top now you gotta do your top five. Five to one vampire. So if I remember correctly, because I wrote them down a while ago, bear with me. If the video goes out, I may actually. If the video goes out, I'll be right back. Everyone stay. Okay, I deleted my list ah, uh, because I did it for the other podcast. So I'm trying to rem- I remember. I'll, I'll div. I remember my top three. I remember my top three. I'm trying to remember what four and five were. Um, actually, when we paused that, we gained a couple followers, and then they went right away. Um, fuck. Okay, I remember my. Top four. What the fuck was five? Shit. I'll, I'll do it from one to five. I was going to do five to uh, one, but we did top tens for this one, which Sean, Sean can do top. I thought subspecies was six, I think. Anyway, so I'll do. I can't remember what the fuck. Anyway. Dude, subspecies was dude, subspecies was great, by the way. Did you see dude, well subspecies wasn't actually on my list. Subspecies two, Bloodstone was on my list. So I haven't seen two. Watch that one. But I'd I'd ordered the Blu-ray last year at some point. I think after you and I were talking about it. Uh, Full Moon was doing like a sale or whatever, so I picked it up. And by the way, dude, I also just got laser blast, and I still haven't watched it yet. Oh yeah. But, I'm, I'm really excited for that. So I'll give you but, my top four that I remember. Okay. I remember the top four, I think. So my number one, and I usually, I always like going ascending to one, but I, I fucking can't remember my list. Uh, uh, and I had it written down, and I, I was anticipating your list, but forgot, like, I need to have my list ready, but I deleted it out of my fucking notes. Anyway, my number one, if you know me or, or know anything involved with me, Lost Boys, my number one, uh, un, like, favorite movie ever of all time, can never be touched. Number two was Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's 1992, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, number three was Fright Night. Nice. And if I remember correctly, number four was from Dust Till Dawn. So obviously, oh, yeah. a lot of crossover there. And then uh, I'm trying to remember what the last Im- interview with the vampire was not on my top list. It was actually only on our friend Sean's top list. If you go and go check the last episode uh, where we did the top ten list, so I'm, I'll try to remember what was else was on my top ten list. So subspecies two Bloodstone is the best in the series. Uh, highly recommend anyone checking out uh, the subspecies uh, films. Um, what the fuck? Salem, Salem's Lot was number 10. Frog Brothers all the fucking way. Uh, um, Salem's Lot was number 10. Number 9 was Nosferatu, the original Nosferatu 1922 silent film. Obviously groundbreaking. Um, I'm trying to remember what the fuck else was on my goddamn list. Blanking so hard. That's a pretty good 
pretty solid ass list though. Anyway, dude. Oh, Fright Night Two was definitely on it too. Fright Night Two. I had two sequels on it, and there was Subspecies Two and Fright Night Two. I'm trying to remember what the fuck else was on it. I'm literally, I'm fucking looking around like, what movie was it? Um, I can't fucking remember. So, so do you remember the original? The original Dracula was number five. Uh, the original Universal Monsters, 1931, Bela Lugosi's Dracula was number five. So, number five, Dracula, 1931. Number four, From Dusk Till Dawn. Number three, Fright Night. Number two, Bram Stoker's Dracula, 1992, for Francis Ford Coppola. And The Lost Boys, number one completely, without a shadow of a doubt. Now, was Twilight on Brian's... No, no, but no, but we did talk about the Twilight films because I actually, uh, fortunately and rather unfortunately, uh, did go see two of those films in theaters. The first time I went and saw it was at the Glenwood Movieplex, and I had no fucking clue what I was what I was going to see. I just remember, <laughs> I'm trying to fucking remember who went with us. I think it was me, Sean, Clawson, and like someone else. We had no clue what the fuck they were about. Uh, and I, I, being, this film came out in 2008, so I was 20, and being a 20-year-old fucking idiot, uh, <laughs> I, I screamed something during one of the, like, half fucking hot and heavy scenes, and, uh, I said it, Chris Clawson was sitting next to me, and they kind of, like, gave him a dirty look, and he's like, <laughs> um... And then I went with, uh, I think I went with Dree and someone else and saw fucking the second one. Like, just out of, like, boredom. She's like, hey, we got a ticket and someone bailed. Do you want to go see it? I was like, yeah, I'll go see this fucking Twilight sequel. <laughs> and just fucking, I'm not even shitting you. There was literally uh, a mother and her daughters were there. And the mother made fucking Twilight cupcakes and was handing them out. Jesus Christ, dude. We also had dog shit seats, too. We were in the front, so I was literally blowing myself because my knees were right up in my fat fucking chin. <laughs> um, so I couldn't see a fucking thing. Also, have you ever seen an IMAX movie in the first fucking row? No. Not that one. That, I didn't, that wasn't an IMAX, obviously. It wasn't that fucking cinematically great. But I went and saw Interstellar once. And someone was fucking late, and we got fucked out of our seats, so we literally saw Interstellar on, like, the second or third row. And it was literally, like, fucking laying on your back trying to fucking watch. It was the most uncomfortable fucking stupid experience of my life. Especially because that movie's, like, three hours long, too. <laughs> was, that, was, was that the first time you had seen it? Interstellar? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the reason I is because like that was that's one of like a handful of movies I saw twice in theaters, and dude, I feel so terrible that you'd sit in the front fucking row because I love that movie, dude. Yeah, I do too. Uh, also, is your is your drummer is your drummer being facetious? He said, "My God, I am so sorry because Interstellar is stellar." Or was he saying it was? He's sorry that I had to sit the way I was sitting. I think uh, he's talking about the way that you were sitting in the theaters. Okay, yeah, I loved it. I fucking think McConaughey is the fucking man. I feel like McConaughey can do anything. Also, if there's any people who enjoyed McConaughey's performance in that, we were talking about this with Sean earlier in the week. McConaughey has a role in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, Next Generation, 
where he has a, an automatronic leg and he's like just like a raving psycho. But he's so over the top in that film. Everyone has to fucking see that. That's, dude, okay, I, I've seen screenshots and I've seen, like, footage from that, but I haven't watched the whole movie yet, so that's going to be on the list. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, yeah, we talked about Twilight in that, <laughs> in that episode, for sure. Uh, we're actually doing uh, a werewolf episode. Now, a werewolf episode is going to be interesting because... Is there really ten films? You'd really have to dredge up, because especially over the last 25, 30 years, there really hasn't been a lot of werewolf films. So before I talk about it on the next episode, which is going to be a werewolf episode, uh, I advise all of you to check out uh, Late Phases. It also goes by the uh, sub-name of uh, uh, Late Phases uh, Night of the Lone Wolf, or Night of the Wolf. Uh, goes by both, but late phases. Look for it. It's a newer werewolf film from I think four or five years ago with a guy named Nick Demichi. Oh, you know what else was on my list? It wasn't on my list. It was in my honorable mentions. Was Stakeland, newer film that has this Nick Demichi cat in it. He was in this movie Stakeland, which is a vampire flick. Really fucking cool. Came out in 2010. It was actually filmed down in Eric's neck of the woods in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, right where Eric lives, right in that area. Um, and that's a fucking great film. So that Nick Demichi cat plays in this werewolf movie from 2013 or 14 called Late Phases. Fucking great film. No CGI. If there is CGI, it's very limited and you can't even notice it. The werewolves are uh, practical. It's fucking good. So as, 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 a, as a last thing before we wrap this up here. Um, you'd mentioned, uh, talking about like honorable mentions. The one thing I wanted to add, um, I know when, when we were on our honeymoon, we went to that random store and I sent you pictures of those like DVDs was out of print. Um, dude, thirst, I would say for me, that was on Eric, that was on Eric's list. It's such a weird take on, on like a vampire facility. It was just super creepy and I, I thought it was great. Yeah. Like, just so bizarre. Yeah, that was on Eric's list. I've yet to see it, and I definitely need to check that out for sure. Well, uh... Cool, man. Well, all right, man. I appreciate you coming live stream, and I appreciate the people who have, uh... Matt, your drum dog, E.T., anybody who stayed with us the entire time, uh... Thanks for uh, coming by. Uh, and yeah, this is going to be actually posted on the podcast page. So if you have Instagram, uh, we're at Heart Guide Media. On Twitter, we're at Heart Guide Media. Um, it's on all your sites where you listen to your stupid fucking podcasts, your Joe Rogans or whatever the fuck you're listening to. Uh, it's on you know Spotify, iTunes, anything who's juicy brain drops he also said et phone yeah, home that's my boy uh that's another mike actually um from albany who's uh, a real cool motherfucker uh so yeah he's a crazy cajun and uh he's talking about et and shit he better he better phone home to all those other cajuns down in louisiana because those motherfuckers just had like a record amount of cases of fucking the the fucking covid19 uh, what a nightmare dude It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how that unravels, but we'll save that for another episode. <laughs>
but uh, thanks again, man. I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, maybe we'll fucking do more of these uh, live streams for sure. Dude, I dig it. Thanks for having me on, man. Of course, man. Later. Peace.